0: Why did Adam and Eve hide? They had the privilege in the Garden of Eden of actually walking with God. God would come, the cool of the evening. They would have fellowship with Him. And that was apparently one of the amazing things, one of the many amazing things, about the Garden of Eden and their being in that special place so why did they hide the presence of god is a blessing but once sin enters my life the presence of god becomes terrifying jeremy and i are looking at passages about the temple we're trying to understand what the bible teaches us about the temple the New Testament uses the theology of the Old Testament in a particularly rich and deep way as it relates to this concept of God establishing first His tabernacle and then His temple and what all uh, the temple came to mean for God's people and for God's covenant. So we're trying to give ourselves an education. We're trying to understand We're trying to take this on board. What is this thing called the temple? And so today we're going to look at the tabernacle that God instructed the Israelites to build at the foot of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was this incredible experience. Moses sees the burning bush. God says to him, you're going to go and set my people free. And the first sign that this is true is that when you have set them free, and all that I've predicted comes true, You're going to be back here at this mountain. You're going to serve me here. And that's what happens. God meets them at the mountain. God meets them at Mount Sinai. And it's incredible. He says, out of all the nations of the world, I've taken you. I have scooped you up. I've carried you on eagle's wings. Out of slavery to be my own people, to be a royal priesthood for me. To minister to all of the other nations, to show my presence, to show my image, to show my will, to every other nation on earth, that's what you're going to be. And he gives him his commandments. Do you remember how the people reacted when God spoke at Mount Sinai? You remember what they said? If you have your Bibles, this isn't actually on the sheet. I ran out of space on the sheet, sorry. It's as small as I thought I could make the font, and and I still didn't have enough room. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Exodus chapter 20. We, we talked about this uh, a while ago, a couple of weeks ago. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. When the people, this is right after God gives the Ten Commandments, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and they heard the trumpet and they saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. All of this was God present on the mountain. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Why did Adam and Eve hide? Because of sin. Why did the people fear the voice of God? Same reason. Sin. They said, Moses, part of us is aware that this is an incredible blessing, that God is willing to speak to us as His people. We just can't stand it. You go. You go talk to Him for us. You need to know that background, that they said, you go up on the mountain, you go meet with God, don't let Him talk to all of us. It is. Scares us too much. It is too much at odds with the kind of people we are to be this close to the presence of God. You need to know that background in order to understand the irony of Exodus chapter thirty two. As they say, you go, Moses. You go talk to God. And go. And Moses goes up there and he starts getting all these incredible revelations. He gets instructions about how the people are going to live. And he gets instructions about uh, all of these different things that the people are going to need to do. And then we get this. Moses has done exactly what the people have asked. God has done exactly what the people have asked. He has kind of removed himself. He's pulled back so that they aren't so terrified. Chapter 32 verse 1, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Isn't that just, I mean, in one sense it's unbelievable, but the more you know about human nature, it's totally believable. More than one thinker down through the ages has said something to the effect that first we raise the dust and then we complain because we cannot see. People all the time say, oh, why is God so absent? Where is God? I I wish I could find God. don't you believe it? Paul says, Romans chapter one, verse eighteen, the wrath of God's revealed because people are suppressing the knowledge of God. I know people in one part of their mind say, Oh, I wish I could find God. They don't want to find God. It is it is a terrifying thing to face God in my sin. It is a terrifying, and I want God away. I want God pushed out. I want Him distant. And then I am very likely to do exactly what the Israelites do in this passage. As soon as God distances Himself, then I'm going to use that as an excuse to say, well, you know, God's not around, so we've got to make the, you know, do the best we can. Since God's not around, I guess we can just make up whatever rules we want. Since God's not around, I guess we can do whatever we feel like. Since God's not around, this is so human. This story has been taught. I mean, it happens here at the foot of Mount Sinai, but let's be honest. It happens all the time. Aaron gives in to their command. demands. He says, all right, bring me some gold. They... They take off their jewelry, they give him the go. he makes golden calves, and he declares a festival. And verse 6, So the next day the people rose up early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. They asked for God to be far away. And then they use God's distance as an excuse for sin. The more God seems far away, here's lesson number one for today, I guess. The more God seems far away, the more His people are tempted to do all kinds of evil. We don't want God close to us because in our sin, God's presence is terrible. But the more God is distant from us, the more we are tempted to come up with reasons to do bad things. It's a conundrum. It is a puzzle. It is a paradox of our relationship with our Creator. We need God near us because His presence near us is is what will protect us from our own worst instincts. And yet the closer He comes, the worse we feel about our sin And about what's wrong in us. And that's kind of the problem that arises. Look at verse 7. Chapter 32, verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they've made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and have sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. In verse 10, Now leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Do you get that? God has spent the last two years setting the israelites free leading them through the wilderness bringing them to mount sinai where he can meet with them and how does the meeting with god go do you ever have a terrible terrible blind date just really awful it's nothing compared to what happened at the foot of mount sinai it's nothing God says, my holiness demands justice against these people. My holiness desires to strike down the sin that's in them. We need God near us because that's one of the things that shields us from our own worst impulses. But here's lesson number two. The more God comes near the more human sin calls out to be destroyed by His holy presence. Adam and Eve, who used to rejoice when God would come walking in the garden, now they run and hide. Why'd you hide? Why'd you hide? The Israelites who have been honored above all the nations by God meeting them at the mountain, Say, oh, don't no, let him talk anymore. You go talk to him. And as soon as Moses is gone, virtually, they say, man, we need more manageable gods. We get, need gods that we make ourselves, that, that we have control over. That's not something that these people did. That's something that's true about us as well. God's holiness Cries out to punish sin. This is cry out to punish the sin of the Israelites. God's holy presence cries out to punish your sin. What you do when you think no one else knows, what you do that you take steps to keep secret, God knows. And God's holy presence calls out to punish your sin. That's the facts. That's just the way it is. There's a part of you that wants God gone. You just want to be left alone with your own corruption. I want God away so I can sit here and rot. So I can sit here and fester so I can sit here and just give in and let the sin take me. I want God gone. Because God's holy presence is at war with what sin is trying to do in me. It gets worse. Turn over to chapter 33 of Exodus, or it's right there on your study sheets Stu. too. Chapter 33, The Lord said to Moses, Leave this place. It's a bad first date, right? Leave this place. You and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to keep that promise. I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I'll give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But here's the bad part, verse 3. But I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might kill you on the way. Did you see that? You and I have forgotten how dangerous God is. Frequently, we have forgotten what it's taken to make it safe for you and I to say the name of God, to dare to come into God's presence as we've done this morning, to invoke God to come near to us as he promises to do when we gather together in the name of his son. We have forgotten what a dangerous enterprise we are engaged in. God says, I think it's better if you and I, if, if the people and I part ways. I'll send an angel, he'll have enough power to handle the problems. But if I go, my holy presence goes. And they pull another thing like this, just swat them like flies. That'll be it. Look down at verse 15. Moses said to him, If your presence does not go up with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Here's the problem, lesson number three, I guess for today. The problem is how can God give his people the benefit of his holy presence without immediately destroying them for his sin, for their sins? there is the nature of God is at war with our sin the the holiness of God is in a hate relationship with our sin. And so the nearer God comes, the more that sin cries out to be destroyed. We need God near because that's the only way we're going to be pulled out of sin. But as God comes near, his holiness cries out for justice. So how can we get close to God without being destroyed? How can we do that? We had the house I grew up in no longer exists. They tore it down last year, but it was in the country when I was growing up. It was fields all around it we had raccoons, we had raccoons, so day after day, and we had dogs too and and so, day after day, for a few months, you know we would come out and about every other morning, the trash cans would just be overturned, and we would just have you know scattered across our backyard all the trash. My dad got tired of that, and so he actually started. We had a closet in the back of our garage. So he's actually started storing our trash in this closet in the back of our garage. He would pull it out when it was trash day and he would just store it in this closet in the back of our garage. We'd go back in there, dump the trash. It smelled pretty terrible. It was pretty awful. And I noticed something after that had been going on for a few months. I developed a new game because we didn't have raccoons anymore. They couldn't get back there. Now we had cockroaches, and I'm not talking cockroach, I'm talking cockroach. I mean, we had big, nasty, horrible, but it was hilarious because I would go in there and it was all dark and everything, and I could just throw open the door. I had big folding doors. I could just throw open the folding door. Sunlight would come pouring in. And the roaches would just scatter. It was just it was hilarious to me. Touch of evil, I admit, but you know they would just they would run. They would scamper. They were so terrified of the light. That sunlight was incompatible with their existence. Your sin is Incompatible with the presence of God. Don't kid yourself. I understand that every one of us has pet sins. We get used to it. It doesn't bother us anymore very much. I mean, we know it's probably not okay, but but it doesn't bother. Your sin is vile. It is disgusting. And as God gets closer and closer to you, that sin is going to do everything it is to make you scurry away from the light. How do we get close to God? And get the benefit of being close to God without God just destroying us because of our sin. That's the great solution at the end of the book of Exodus, actually. That's actually, I think, what the tabernacle is about. The first iteration of God's temple, the first instance of God creating a temple, is the tabernacle. Obviously, there's about 15 chapters of tabernacle material. I decided not to read all that for you today. But God creates the tabernacle in order to solve this problem of how He can be near us, how He can make Himself more of a located presence with His people so that they have Him to turn to, that He can be an influence on them and invite them towards righteousness without just breaking out against them and destroying them for their sin. The solution is God's tabernacle allows God to be near His people without His holy presence immediately destroying them for their sins. Notice what the first verse that I put on your study sheet says. The cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses did everything that God commanded. He followed the pattern that he was shown up on the mountain. He set up the rooms. He set up the veils. He set up the cleansing. He, he took blood. He took water. He cleansed everything. He purified everything. He set up the outer curtain and the inner walls and the inner veil. He set up the priesthood and purified them. He gave them their special clothes. And then God's glory entered the tabernacle so powerfully that Moses couldn't go in. No one could go in. God's Shekinah, His glory, His presence. Actually, the next passages tell you who the favored tribes are. Who gets to be closest to the tabernacle? You can tell who the good tribes, you know, the tribes that are uh, the favored tribes, they're the ones who get to be closest to the tabernacle. Who gets to be closest to God? But but everything about the tabernacle it's like a giant insulator you got the outside curtains that people could come into if they were bringing blood if they were bringing sacrifice and then you've got the holy place and only the priest could go in there and only if they were in the right state of ritual purity and and then you had the holy of holies which is where god's seat was the mercy seat and and only the high priest could go in there and only once a year and only after he had offered sacrifice for himself and his family and only after he had offered blood and brought blood for the sins of himself and for his family and for the people one time a year the sacrifice the 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 structure of the tabernacle which becomes the structure of the temple itself is like A built sermon, preaching over and over and over again. Two messages. God is so holy. And God desires to be near. God is so holy. We need these barriers. We need this priesthood. We need this blood. We need these veils to shield us from Him. And yet God is so loving, He desires to be near us so that He can pull us away from what's trying to trap us, what's trying to rot our hearts, the sin that is that is killing us. It's like a built sermon. That's what the temple ends up being, as we'll see later on. God wants you. He wants to win your heart. He wants to be near you. And part of the great story of the temple that reaches its climax in Jesus Christ and in the church that Jesus Christ builds is that God has found a way to perfect through Jesus Christ those two messages. To be perfectly holy and yet to be perfectly near. Jesus Christ died so that you can be saved. We offer this invitation week after week. If you need to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, if you believe in Him so much that you now hate what sin is doing in your life and you are ready to make a break with that, to change, to put that all behind you. We call that repentance. And because of that, you are ready to confess publicly, to tell people, yes, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you're ready to do those things, then there's nothing stopping you from saying, Today, I want to be buried in the waters of baptism. I want my old person to die so that God can give me my new self, a new self raised to the new kingdom of God that God will one day bring. If you are ready to take that step, then we're going to invite you to come forward and and tell us what we can do for you. If you need prayers or anything else, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.